Uh, let's get in, uh, let's dive in as we continue in Advent. If you've been a part of our church or you know what the word Advent means, maybe it's new to you. Um, Advent simply is a, is, comes from a Latin word and it means coming or arrival. Uh, so at Christmas, Christians celebrate uh, two coming or arrivals of Jesus. First, the traditional birth in a manger as baby. Um, and then we also anticipate, we recognize the anticipation of his second Return when he cracks open the sky and returns to rule and reign forever. So we use Advent. We celebrate those aspects. Uh, well, so what we're going to do is for the next 35 to 40 minutes or so, we're just going to talk about who Jesus is, right? There's no shocker there. Uh, it sounds pretty uh, simple, uh, but um, we all have some different variations of the word Jesus and who, it, who that is to us. What does he mean? Which Jesus are you talking about. Um, I, I hope that all of our sermons are centered around Jesus. If they're not, you should hold us accountable uh, to that. If we get the person of Jesus down, and if we understand that, everything else is going to flow. That's why we don't jump all over topical things, uh, is because, if, man, if we could just get Jesus He's going to take care of everything else. That's what we do here at the creek. So when I say uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, sounds pretty simple, but it's more complex. Your response would be like, which Jesus are you talking about? Uh, we come from a lot of different uh, backgrounds in here today, as every Sunday, and we should. Uh, some of you um, today, you are the church, all right? And some of you uh, just go to church and then some of you have been running from church your entire life. And you come around at Christmas, and that's okay. We want you here. Some of you think that Jesus is the guy who plays shortstop for the Braves. So there's people all over the map with their different interpretations. So when I say we're going to talk about Jesus, which Jesus? There's variations all over the place. There's infant Jesus, baby Jesus, beautiful bearded Jesus, healer Jesus, sight to the blind Jesus. There's all these different ones all over the map. And we want to find out which one we're ultimately talking about today. Do you realize that uh, Muslims believe in Jesus? All right, They believe that in the Quran, he's called Isa. And he's basically considered one of the greatest prophets of all time. But they don't believe that he's the son of God. They don't worship the same Jesus as you and I do. Uh, Jews, they believe in Human Jesus, yes, he was a good teacher, and um, he taught us a lot of good things, good moral man, but he just was another crazy guy with a Messiah complex who thought he was God, and because of that, they wanted to kill him, all right? Uh, um, Hindus, they believe that Jesus, they believe in Jesus too, uh, they believe that he is a, a reincarnated uh, version of their, their Vishnu God, uh, and that's the, that he manifests himself throughout history, and one time he just revealed himself as the person of Jesus. Atheists, ag agnostics, uh, ag uh, the intellectuals, overthinkers, all of them, they believe in historical Jesus. He was born, he lived and dwelled, kind of like a, a George Washington or a Martin Luther King. Good moral man, taught a lot of good things, impacted history. But as far as me, he isn't really, he's irrelevant to me. His life means nothing to me. And they view Jesus as just simply uh, someone who's in addition to their life, not ruling, not reigning in their life. And then we have a group of cultural or nominal Christians. We use that word sometimes, if that's kind of puzzling to you. That means somebody who thinks they're a Christian because of what culture tells them is what a Christian looks like. They've adopted Christianity from what people tell them, and they just kind of roll around with everybody else. 
And it's not Christianity based upon what the scriptures say. And they, uh, they view Jesus as genie Jesus. Uh, they want him to rescue them from hell, save me. And then they want to rub the genie bottle when they want Jesus to give them things. Call upon Jesus. Give me this. I want this. I want this. And he does not have any rule and any reign in their life. So we want to dig into the real Jesus who presents himself in the scriptures as the God-man. And nothing else. This needs to define who Jesus is to all of us. We always tell you that you need to hold fast and firm. What does the Bible say? All right, so always ask yourself. So we've been trying to learn about who the scriptural Jesus truly, truly is. And we've been doing that by this year for Advent, investigating the the three offices that Jesus Christ fulfilled, prophet, priest, and king. Before we get in there, let me tell you uh, why those offices were in the Old Testament. When you read prophets and kings and priests, what are they, what were the purpose of all of them? Well, because of original inherited sin in the garden, Adam and Eve fracture the relationship between God and man, cast out. That's why you and I are born that we don't have a relationship with God. We don't feel him. We, we think there's this God, but we don't have a relationship with him because, because it's been fractured. Well, in that position, God promised that Jesus would come one day to restore all that had been broken. But until then, till the appointed time on the birth of Christmas Day, that he would give us glimpses of himself. I'm going to reveal myself to you in little pieces, not the whole thing. I'm not restoring the entire relationship between me and you, but I'm going to give you glimpses. And I'm going to give you three offices, prophet, priest, king, who are going to be Christ types. They're not the real thing. The real thing is going to be Jesus, but you're going to get a glimpse of what Jesus is going to do in these three offices. So they were not uh, perfect, and they are not meant to last forever. Let's look at this media, uh, image of mediation that we've been walking through. Uh, they're all failures. They, they never could fulfill what Jesus could fulfill. So here's what God did. He first sent a, a prophet. He anointed a prophet with oil and said, you are going to speak the message that I give you to the people of God, and that is the nation of Israel. He took that nation, and he set them apart. He says, you are all my people. You are not my people. You are my people. So I'm going to communicate to you through the prophet, and he spoke to the people of God. And then we saw the priest. Now, the priest worked in uh, opposite order. The priest served as an interceding uh, behalf from the people of God up to the priest and then to God. So they lifted up prayers, sin, uh, confessions of sin, and then the priest would offer sacrifices for their sin, and he would also pray on behalf of these people, giving all those things to God, all right? Uh, And then the third we will look at today is king, that God appointed king um, over to be sovereign over the nation of Israel, just that nation. That's important to understand that, to, uh, to rule, to reign, to be authoritative, to pour out justice, to keep his nation safe and secure and prosperous, all right? All three could never be fulfilled in one person. There were three offices, and it, they all should lead us up, and we're reading there, of a greater one that would come in Jesus. Today, We're going to be looking at Jesus as king. And I'm going to challenge you today. 
All right, I, lo- I love to tell you this. Sometimes I use this language that we want to disturb comfortable people. All right, that's what we're doing with the word. Now, reading through uh, the scripture, he also comforts the disturbed, but we also disturb the comfortable. And here's what I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to submit to the entire authority to the rule and reign of King Jesus in your life, that you would line up with what the Bible says about Jesus and not anything that you walked in here today that you inherited from culture, from your grandparents, from anyone that taught you anything other than what was in the Bible. Make your heart pliable and just say, man, I'm open to it. I might be wrong. Tell me about the Jesus that's in the scriptures and what he demands of me, what he calls me to, what did he come to earth to do. So let's do that this morning and be open about those kind of things. Let's pray before we get in this morning. Uh, Father, we love you. As we open up your word, the scriptures today, we, we make and we, we, uh, we pledge a, a, our hearts to be pliable to you, uh, to, that you would shape and mold us and to, to places sometimes where we're hard and we, we think we know who Jesus is. I pray that we lay those things down and just become receptive to who you would have us understand who he is today. Father, ultimately, we're declaring today that he is king, and that has implications in our life. When we say king, that means he rules and he reigns in the hearts of his people. Today, I pray that people in here today would submit to him being king in their life, and not just a historical figure, not just a human, not just a baby, not a mythical figure, but a king over their life. We love you. We thank you, uh, Father, we can pray to you because of Jesus Christ, and we pray it in his name. Amen. So here's where we're going. Uh, we're going to go Zechariah uh, towards the end of the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, bring those, please, on Sunday. I encourage you to do that uh, so you can make some notes and all those good things. Uh, we're going to go Zechariah, and here's what we're going to see today in this passage. We're Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, just two, two verses there, and what this is called um, is a prophetic compression. Now, here's what that means. There's two prophecies in Zechariah. This is 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And the prophet Zechariah is going to explain the two advents of Jesus in this passage. Verse 9 is the first coming of Jesus. Infant Jesus, baby in a manger, king, and what he came to do in his first coming. And then verse 10 is going to turn the page and say, okay, now Jesus is returning as a different warrior king, and he has a different purpose, and we anticipate that one. But the prophet Zechariah is giving us a picture of these two combined, and we're going to look at that uh, today. So let's do that. Let's start out. uh, Verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? Now hold up right here. Here's what I want to let you know about the Old Testament kings. All right, the Old Testament kings, as I said, they were appointed by God to uh, be prosperous uh, over to to rule the people of Israel, to keep them safe, secure, provide, to care, to bring justice, uh, and, and all kind of governing ways. And we see a prototypical king in David. All right, he is a humble king. He's a giant killer. He was beloved by all of the people in Israel. He was righteous. 
He was called a man after God's own heart. David, we lift up David. He must be holier than me and you. He must be a great, great king. He must be perfect. God would not do that. But let me tell you what David was. He was a liar. And he was an adulterer. And he was a murderer. Just like every other person on the face of this earth. His heart was marred by sin. Just like yours and just like mine. Here's what else David couldn't do. David had no ability to restore the relationship between God and man. He didn't rule over creation. He didn't rule over people's hearts. He couldn't really dictate what was happening in their hearts. He could behaviorally uh, get them to submit to his rule and reign. But he was an imperfect, sinless, or sinful man like me and you. And we needed a greater king, a perfect king. A king that could restore the relationship between God and man. A king that could reign and rule in the hearts of people. A king that could control the universe with his voice, with his hands. A greater king. All right, so here's in this passage, first we say rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's speaking to the nation of Israel. That's who he's talking about specifically. And he says, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. All right. Now that passage can also be uh, translated as your king is coming for you. He's coming for you, not just to you. To you is impersonal. For you. Now that changes things. All right. If I'm your pastor and someone abducts me and holds me captive, I don't want someone just coming to me. I want someone coming for me. Guns blazing, rescuer, come get me out of this, right? Unless it's Callie who's abducted me and taken me to Hawaii. Y'all leave me there. You don't have to come get me. I pray for that sometimes, right? I don't know if that's right or wrong. But there's a different mentality when you're talking about a rescuer coming to you and for you. Jesus comes as a baby, a king the first time, his first coming as a rescuer for you. Now, this is a little bit different because in the time, because of Israel's uh, disobedience to God, they spent uh, centuries upon centuries being overthrown and oppressed by different world powers, specifically when Jesus was born, they were dominated uh, by Rome and its empire. They, man, they were enslaved people. All right? They were oppressed. They could kill. They could murder. Rome dominated all of the nation of Israel. They were under complete authority because of their disobedience to God. So they were eagerly anticipating a king that would come and free them from this domination. All right, that's what they wanted. They wanted a King Arthur type to come in, slay, right, spank tail, kick butt, get, get rid of all this oppression that the Romans were coming in to do. Please, we want this king. And that is why they tried to force Jesus to be that king. They were desperate for him. And what did he do? He rejected it. He says, I'm not the earthly king that you think that I am. I'm not here to free you from Rome's domination. He said, I'm the king who came to free you from 
sin's domination. First time, first coming. That is what he came to do. He's not here for world peace, not to overthrow powers that are oppressive, but to be a redeemer, to free you from sin's domination. To you today, you will never see Jesus as your king if you don't understand that you are under the dominating power of sin and you needed a deliverer, a rescuer in your life. You'll never see it any different. Now, in in Matthew 21, we're not going to go there, but Matthew 21 talks about uh, this this prophecy that we're reading. It's the New Testament version of it. It actually happens, and Matthew quotes Zechariah just like that. He says, this is what's coming. So they're anticipating, they're cheering loudly, they're excited. Here comes our king. But he's not the king that he thinks that they are. They should have known this. They should have known that Jesus is not the earthly king. And let me tell you why. During this time in the culture, a king rode a war horse during times of war. They would mount up on a horse when it was wartime. But it was times of peace, they rode on a donkey. All right, that's what they did. So they should have seen that him on a donkey and recognized, okay, he's not here to bring war. What is he doing? Jesus came in on a donkey because he came in to bring peace between God and man during a time of peace. The first coming of Jesus, he wants to bring peace between God and man. He's not declaring war yet. A second coming, all right? And they should have known this, and they rejected him because of it. They didn't understand that he came to be a different kind of king. Let's keep going um, in the passage. So here's what's going on. Man, they were, they were wanting a rescuer. Uh, the two purposes that Jesus came to do, and we'll see in this passage, if you have a, a Bible, unwrite this, righteous and having salvation. So if he's coming to restore the relationship between God and man, he came in to do two things. He came in to redeem, and he came to rule. Those are the two things he came to do in his first coming. Redeemer. All right, He has the ability to redeem and restore the relationship between God and man because he is righteous, because he is sinless, because he is perfect. He is the only righteous man that ever walked the face of the earth to this point. He fulfilled the entire law. If you'll remember, we were all objects of God's wrath, and there had to be a substitute. We talked about that during the priest. There had to be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He was our high priest. He entered into the temple. And the only reason that he could do that and restore the relationship between God and man is because he was righteous. The second thing he comes in to bring is he brings salvation. This is why you today should surrender to the kingship of Jesus because he came and brought you salvation. Not just Do this because I'm telling you, I'm going to be your king. No, because he brought salvation to you. You see, everybody in our culture wants heaven. Everybody. But not everybody thinks that they need a savior. And that's where it parts. You don't see, you don't recognize that you needed a savior to bring you salvation. You don't have Jesus as your king. This is what he came to bring. Salvation to all. His first coming all right, he's not coming as a judge to the world. He's not coming to condemn. He's coming to rescue you 
All right, we like this Jesus. Stay with me here because he's extending something to you that you cannot obtain. He's offering salvation. Now, the other thing that this word righteous means, it means just. When Jesus came on the earth, he, he was a just God. That's what he's ultimately coming to do. He's a just God. If an Old Testament king uh, would not punish guilty people, he would be considered weak and he would be dethroned. They would say, man, you're not strong enough to lead. You don't punish guilty people. So you need to get off of the throne. You cannot hold this office. He would be dethroned. And Jesus, because he is a just God, he always punishes the guilty. Never punishes the innocent, but he always punishes the guilty. He is just and he is also the justifier. And that is what he came to do as well. He, here's what he did. This is the, the beautiful thing uh, that he did in this justice. Uh, we have an affinity for, uh, for judge shows, right? They're all over TV. I mean, you can find them on tons of things. There's like 800 judges with reality TV. And there's tons of shows about justice, right? Well, let me tell you why. You and I, inherently in us, we love justice. We want those shows and we watch them because we want the guilty to be punished at all times. Man, I can't wait to watch that gavel being slammed down. And I want that judge to pass down justice. And if they were to ever let someone slide who was guilty, we would cry out injustice, wouldn't we? We want our judges to be just. Well, here's what God did. He always punishes the guilty. He's declared everyone on the face of the earth guilty and deserving of his wrath, separation from him forever. All of us guilty. So here's what he does. On the throne, he says, guilty. So he does punish the wicked, and he does punish the guilty. But here's what he does. He passes down the sentence. He gets off of the throne. He gets off of the bench, comes down and says, now I will receive the punishment for you. He is not only just, he's the justifier. Now, you'll never see a judge on this earth do that ever. Like Judge Judy Smackdown. Right? She doesn't jump off the bench and come down and say, okay, I just poured out wrath. I'll take it for you. No way. No one does that except for God. He is just and the justifier. He jumps off and says, I'll take the guilty sentence. And for all those who surrender to that, man, they'll have eternal life. I'll take their punishment uh, for them. All right? Now, here's what also he does. He also, uh, and he also comes as a ruler. All right? In his first coming, he does want to rule. Uh, now, in this time, the Old uh, Testament kings, uh, they're different than, than, than what we see in our culture today as kings. Kings today, uh, they really don't have supreme authority. They're more like dignitaries who have influence, but they don't have authority like they did in the Old Testament. The Old Testament kings had the power and the ability uh, to take a man's life. So if you don't bow to me, I'm going to take your life. And if you do bow, I will give you life. And so it is spiritually with us when we come to bow before Jesus. We bow to Jesus, we'll have spiritual life. Those who do not bow in this life will not have life. And so it is the same way with Christ. Now here's what else he rules. We know that Jesus wants to rule, and he does this by ruling creation. During his earthly ministry... He ruled creation, and he displayed it by telling the storms to stop. Storms, 
you stop. And they stopped. He said, oceans, this is where you stop. And they obeyed. Sun, you come up now. Moon, you rise now. Right? He told the rain when to fall. He told the water when to freeze. Grass, here is when you grow, and here is where you grow. Jesus ruled over all of creation. Hebrews tells us that he upholds the entire universe with his hand. Jesus ruling creation. Jesus was also a healer. He ruled over disease, right? Made blind men see, cured the lepers, raised Lazarus from the dead. He rules over disease still today. He rules over cancer, Parkinson's, diabetes, HIV, you name it. He rules over them. Now, don't get confused by looking at this world because it's easy to say, but it doesn't look like he's ruling. That's because we look at that and we say, well, their physical life was taken. He never promises physical healing on this earth. Never one time does he promise it. He says, I will heal you spiritually. You can guarantee on that. So if you see someone who's emaciated by a disease and they're gone, that does not mean Jesus is not ruling over disease. It means when they inherit eternal life in the kingdom of God, there is no disease, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness in heaven because Jesus rules over those things. He's never defeated by disease. He's never defeated by death. He rules over those things. Sometimes healing comes in the form of God taking someone from us and inheriting the kingdom of God. That's healing. We like to look at the world through earthly views. Oh, man, how does God allow this to happen? He might be delivering that person, right, to a a world and a kingdom that never has to see that ever again. The other thing that Jesus rules over in his earthly ministry is he rules over demons. We live in a world... Uh, that, that Satan is very active and he's very present in our world today. I think everyone would agree with that. Jesus rules over demons on the earth. Man, if you've ever seen and you watch uh, movies about possession, uh, demonic possession, and there's all those shows and you're always crazy, here's what you usually see. You see a priest or a holy person in this argumentation with the demon. They're like back and forth and he's yelling and fighting and then the possessed like vomits in their face and they're just back and forth over and over again. You know what never happens when Jesus comes across the demon? He never argues with them. They're scared to death of him. They bow down. They cower in fear. And at one instance, they even say, Jesus, have you come to destroy us before the appointed time? And they just bow. They cannot look because they know that he rules over them. We live in a dark world. Don't ever think that Jesus is not ruling and not reigning. He is authoritative, and he will bring to justice all of those things. He rules. But here's where he ultimately wants to rule. Coming the first time as a king, he does want to rule. The number one place he wants to rule is in the hearts of the people of God. That's where his kingdom is. He said, this is where I want to rule. Kingdoms or kings have kingdoms. So they have to have a domain. Without a domain, there is no need for a king. The domain that where he wants to reign is in your 
heart if you're a follower of Christ. He wants to be a king. He wants to be a king over how you spend your money. He wants to be a king over what you think sex is. He wants to be a king over how you treat your temple, the body God gave you. He wants to be a king over what you think about food. He wants to be a king over what you look at on your cell phone, your computer, and your tablet. I want all of it. I want to be king of how you treat people. I want to rule and reign over all of those things. That is his kingdom. That's where he wants to set up. Now here's what you need to know because we don't like to be we don't like to be ruled. Right? He wants to rule every aspect of our entire but we don't like to be ruled. That's domineering. All right? Now here's what he's saying. He says you don't get to be king. You don't. Not because I'm a power-hungry, tyrannical king. It's because you're a terrible king. You and I are terrible kings. We made horrible, horrible kings. Some of you today, you know what I'm talking about. You've blown it. You've messed up your life. You made choices. You've destruction. When you were sitting on the throne, you got to where you are and you get it. Because you tried to be king. God says, I I, I want to be the king. He says, I'm a better king than you. I'm everywhere. You're in one place. He says, I'm all up in tomorrow, and you don't know what you did last week. I am the creator. You're the creator of chaos. That's what you do when you try to be king. We make horrible, horrible kings. And then God forgive us. When we try to make other people and things our little kings. My job, my king. My kids, sports, money, possessions, sex, food. We try to make them little kings. And that is an unfair expectation to put on other people and other things because it's not fair. Because you know what those things will do as kings? They'll fail just like you did. Just like you and me. Man, we don't like to be ruled. Man, we, we just don't like that, that idea. And here's what this is. This is not a, a oppressive, I want to take over your life, domineering rule. If you are a follower of Jesus, you delight in that rule because you know you are a terrible king. I delight in that. Man, today I can tell you, I love it that he's my king and ruling everything because I was horrible at it. You delight. You say, take over. I was bad at it. I'm horrible. I don't want to be king. God, I'm taking myself off of the throne. And I'm putting you on it. But some of you today, you, you don't delight in that. that that's, you, you feel weighty. When I start talking about ruling, king, and delighting in, in that rule, you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I don't know the God you're talking about. The God I know is a joy killer, and he's just wanting to rule and reign like a tyrannical dictator. You don't know God, and you're fighting him. This is, this is, let me tell you why you're in that position, because you think that he's trying to rule and reign you and oppress you and keep you down. It's because you're still fighting him for the throne. You're still trying to get on that throne. You give him the throne maybe one day a week on Sundays. I'm here. Jesus is my king. Right? I'll give you my Sunday. I'll serve. I go to Bible study. Yeah, he's my king. 
but you don't want him getting too close to you. You still want to rule and reign, and you're jockeying for that throne. That throne is not a love seat. It's a one-seater. And Jesus sits on it always at all times in everything that you do. And you got to get off of it, and you have to stay off of it. People that want to battle back and forth with him throne, Jesus is my BFF. He's my homeboy. He's my co-pilot. I'll share it with him. We'll do this together. No. He didn't want to do any of that. He wants to be on the throne and drive the bus forever. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you say, that's awesome. I love that about him. I pray, because I know some people in here today are not, I know you're not there. And I can tell you that in my walk with Jesus, there was plenty of times that I was not there. I say all of that to you right there, not to be punitive. It's to be redemptive, to help you understand you don't have to begrudgingly feel you're oppressed by God and you just want demands out of you. you, you it's, it's not, it's not, that's not the way he designed it. You delight in his glory and his reign and rule in your life. And I pray I really do pray that you would be delivered from any thought of that about your God. When Jesus is king, you delight in it. You should delight in it. Okay? Now, here's, here's what I want to let you know. As I said, we don't want to be ruled by nature. That's our, our inherent nature, we're rebellious, so we don't like the word rule. Don't rule, don't reign. Jesus calls us sheep. All right, and I'm going to show you a passage real quick. He talks about sheep that, that desire to be ruled and sheep that don't like to be ruled. All right, uh, if you know anything about sheep, uh, they're not the smartest things in the world. I'm just telling you, they're, they're dumb. All right, so he, Jesus talks about us being sheep. I'm just being real. So here's what he says. Here's some people that like to be ruled. These are my sheep, and then there's some sheep that don't want to be ruled, and they're not my sheep. Look what he says in John. But you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. Now, pause right here. Go back here. This is talking to the, to the religious person who uh, goes to church. They're not a part of the church. They don't love Jesus. They historically know him. And he tells them, look at the order of this too. I want you to hear this. They don't believe because they're not part of his flock. It's not they're not part of my flock. Because they don't believe. Think about that for a second. I'm going to let you dig into that. He says, you don't believe me. You don't follow me. You don't rule me because you're not a part of my flock. You do your own thing. You don't want to be ruled. You want to stay kind of close to the flock so you feel secure to the shepherd. He, I want to stay kind of close to Jesus, but you stay loosely connected to him. So you drift and you wander. You want to go over here. I don't want you to rule me. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. But I'll come back sometimes because you're good and you're secure. You give me things. And that's not someone who wants to be ruled. And that's not someone who God has redeemed. All right? The second sheep. They love to be ruled. And here's what they do. My sheep hear my voice. They hear me when I call them. Do this. Do this. Do this. It's for your joy. Do this. Do this. Do this. And I know them. He says, I know them. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know of them. I know them. And they follow me. They, they, they do what I tell them to do. <laughs> they allow me, they want me to rule them because they know it's for our good. A sheep is, once again, it's not real smart. So it tucks up to the shepherd. The shepherd feeds them, guides them, disciplines them if needed. That's what his staff was for. Rescues them. 
Here's the cool part about those who submit to King Jesus as rule in their life. Here's what he promises you. He didn't just say, just obey me or I will kill you. Look what he says. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life because they are my sheep. They want to be ruled. And they never perish, never. You're talking about assurance of your salvation here. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. They're not going anywhere. I never lose them. When I save them, they're my sheep. I give them life, and they're mine forever. They never lose salvation. They never have to prove it in their works. They never have to sustain it. They can't ever fall away. They're mine. That should lead you to a greater worship of the shepherd that saved you, not fall into a lazy, apathetical Christianity. That's not the design passage. Let's keep going, man, because I, I, I'm, I'm, i I got to speed it up. Sorry. All right, so here we go. The most, here's what I, I do want to say something to you at this point. Let me say a very loving thing to you right here. If Jesus is not ruling you, he has not redeemed you. This is a partner deal. This ru- ruling and redeeming is a partnership. It is connected. It is married. If you are redeemed, then you allow him to rule in your life. If you don't want him to rule, then you have not been redeemed. You can't be one or the other. You can't say, God, my Savior, Jesus, my Savior, but not my authoritative figure in my life. If he redeemed you, then he rules you. If he rules you, you've been redeemed. All right, now let's look at the second advent. Uh, This is in verse 10. This talks about the second coming of Jesus. The first time he says, salvation is yours. I come in peace between God and man. I've helped extend to you an invitation to the table. That's his invitation to all those that would surrender to his name. I've come to redeem and rule in your hearts. Second advent. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. These are just terms for Israel, northern Israel. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Leave that passage up, please. We, we're talking about wartime here, right? This is wartime language. Today, world war is ever-present in our world. It's everywhere. Dangerous today because we're fighting uh, an invisible enemy. Sometimes not visible, not in uniform. And they don't fight with chariots and bows and horses. They fight with guns, and bombs, nuclear weapons. And what this passage is saying, that when Jesus returns, all of those things will be taken away. I'll cut them all off. All the weapons of destruction on this earth, gone. I'll destroy all of them. I will bring bring peace to the entire nations from sea to sea. This is poetic language. Uh, It's a quote from Psalm 78 uh, of a poetic uh, language where Jesus will dominate and he'll rule from sea to sea. All nations. The Old Testament kings were tribal or national. Jesus says, I'm going to rule global. I'm going to rule international over all of the world. That's why he's the king of kings, because he's not just for a nation. He's over all. Now, here's what you need to know as he's coming the second time. That Jesus is the prince of peace. Not the government. Not the pope. Uh, not the church, not even the military are the prince of peace. None of those things. Now here I want to say something before people start getting a little uncomfortable. 
We should fight injustice in this world. We should fight for peace. Our military, valiant, courageous fighters for peace, and we love them because of it. Our government is fighting for those things. We don't abandon government. We engage in the process. We support who God sovereignly puts in office. Here's what we don't do. We don't ever put our hope in it. We don't passionately pursue the next president and thinking that they are going to restore world peace because here's what I want you to know. If you've ever read Revelation, spoiler alert, it does not end well for us. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. And every time a Christian is focused on a political figure or a person to be the prince of peace, they're fixated on that instead of fixated on the prince of peace, which is Jesus. And you have to look at things through new lenses. You don't, you're not all over Facebook de- putting out these polit- political figures as, as if they're going to restore peace to this earth. They don't do it. We fight with them. We encourage, but we don't ever place our hope and our trust in it. We've got to stay centered in that always. So here's what I want you to know. The first time Jesus comes in, we've learned about it. He comes in as this peaceful king to redeem the people between man and God. But second time, second advent, Jesus doesn't come on a donkey. He doesn't come as a time of peace. He comes in a time of war. Now, what you and I know about many people. We love to talk about the Jesus that we love, right? Baby infant Jesus, beautiful bearded Jesus, sight giver Jesus, healer Jesus, and definitely cross-bearing Jesus. We love that Jesus. We start talking about the second coming of Jesus, and that's the Jesus that people don't want to talk about. I don't like to talk about that one. Warhorse. He comes down, he cracks open the sky. And Revelation 19 lays this out. Cracks the sky open, not in a manger with animals. Cracks it open, comes down. And we look up in the sky and we see a warrior king on a white horse this time. Remember horse, king of times of war? Here he comes. He's got a robe dipped in blood. He has a sword out of his mouth, his eyes are filled with fire. He has a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Not as a homeless baby that needs to be swaddled. You don't swaddle a dude with a tattoo on his thigh. You don't. He comes to judge, to declare war on all unrighteousness on this earth. And when he returns... That day, if you know him as Lord, you've bowed down in this life. Jesus, you are my king. You see that and you rejoice, just as it said in passage 9. You rejoice, oh, greatly, because you are going to stand before your Savior. That's awesome. Jesus is returning. I delight in it. I love it because I know him. But if you have not bowed down in this life, you're standing before your judge. And on that day, it's too late to switch sides. There's no second chance. You don't have time. Now, the beauty of this 
whole passage in this sermon today is today, December 2015, we are still in the first coming of Jesus, who comes as a king to redeem, to make an invitation to the table of salvation for everyone in the room who would believe and surrender to his name. It's not that you're not invited. You just declined the invitation so far, but it is made readily available to you to bow to that king. Man, I want to ask you today, who is your, and I mean king, all right? Don't give the Sunday school answer in my heart. Yeah, Jesus is king. Let's sing it. No, I mean like who's ruling and reigning in your heart? Is it still you? You still live? You wake up breathing? Me, 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 me? You still trying to fight him for the throne? Sometimes he's on it. Sometimes I'm on it. If he's not on it all the time, he's not your king. Make him rule and reign all the time. Now, what we're going to do as we transition out of here, I'm sorry I've gone over, but it's super important today. We're going to give you response time today. During this closeout, I've got a video here I want you to think about. Go talk to somebody in the back of the room if you need to do that today. But here's what I want you to know. Our king, all the things I just did to explain to describe Jesus as our king, they are minuscule. I didn't even, I didn't come close Not even a bit. You got a minuscule glimpse of why he is King Jesus and why he's deserving of your allegiance and you to bow down. Let me tell you about my king. Who is your king today?